Hello and welcome to this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and as always, this is the spot where I interview people who are up to amazing things, supporting and enhancing the lives of physicians, especially Canadian physicians. Now, I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Have you ever wanted to work with a financial planner, pay them for their advice or a plan, but not have to buy a product from them? I got good news for you. I do that. It's called fee-based planning, where you pay for a plan that answers your top questions like, should I pay off debt or invest? Am I making the most of my corporation? How should I invest inside of my corporation? What do I need to do to be on track for retirement? And much, much more. If you want to know more and are wondering if you're a good fit for fee-based planning, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up more about it and book a free call where you and I will talk and see if you're a good fit for fee-based planning. And now on with the show. Hello, Janet. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to talk about the subject of sleep. It's a big one. And before I let everyone know exactly who you are, uh, how about you just tell me, like, what's one of the big things that you want to make sure people walk away from after having listened to this episode? Yeah, this is such a good question. Because normally I was saying to you, normally I would say, well, I'm a sleep coach for midlife moms, but really what I want them to to learn and come away with is that better sleep is possible for them. And they really just need to learn how to think about sleep differently. Mm. And we don't, we're not really taught that. So Mm. it's a different angle on it. Yeah. So that's better sleep is possible. You just have to change the way you think about it. Awesome. So now we'll dive into a little bit more about you. Uh, So you um, are sleep and stress management coach for women over 40, particularly for moms. And I find this fascinating. You used to be an insomniac and now you're a great sleeper and that you're passionate about helping women give themselves permission to sleep, rest and care for themselves after years of giving everything to family and others. And your membership coaching program, Permission to Sleep, helps the members sleep better in eight weeks or less without pills, potions or needing anyone's permission but their own. So awesome. That sounds pretty phenomenal. Um, (laughs) So let's talk, let's dive into it. So you mentioned uh, you're a former insomniac and now you're a great sleeper. How, tell me, how did that happen? Like what's, can you tell me a little bit about the journey that you went through? I sure can. Yeah. So I can remember even back to nursery school having trouble sleeping. Like, you know, when it's nap time and everybody is told to go sleep on their mat (laughs) and the kids are all lying there asleep and I'd be looking around like, What's the matter with these kids? Like, why don't they know they don't have to sleep? Like, I'm awake. <laughs> I drove my parents crazy. They would put me to bed. I would come down the stairs every night and say, I can't sleep. And they'd say, Go back and try harder. Mm. And that never worked. And I've now realized that's like the worst advice you can give anyone. Um, and then, as you know, in university, my sleep schedule was a total mess, just like pulling all nighters and all the things that you should never do, drinking too much caffeine and all the bad habits. And then when I became a mom, I realized, you know, these are just very well ingrained habits that I'm probably stuck with. I, (laughs) I decided that sleep was for chumps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was for people who didn't know that they didn't have to waste a third of their life asleep, right? Because there's so much other stuff you could be doing. This is literally how I used to think. So it wasn't until my late 40s that I started to work on this when I became a life coach and I started to use my tools on myself and figured out, and I I did some research too and realized 
I made a lot of mistakes, but I realized it, there was a lot in the way that I was thinking that was making me, giving me stress response, right? And keeping me awake longer than was really necessary. And if I could learn to sort of accept the idea of being awake instead of leaning into I should be asleep, maybe I could actually sleep better. And it took me much longer than eight weeks. Now, now I can help other people do it quickly. But um, I thought I had the answer to all the universe's problems. Mm. And then I, I thought maybe I could do this. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So there's a lifetime of, of sleep inadequacy. And even your, yeah. your mantra was like, sleep is for chumps. Why you don't, you don't have to waste your time sleeping. And like, how did, did that, did you notice how that impacted your quality of life? Like living like oh, that? Like, totally. Yeah. I was always kind of on edge. I was very anxious. I would snap at my husband. Mm. I would snap at my kids. I resented my husband for being able to, <laughs> you're going to laugh because you told me earlier, you're a good sleeper, but mm-hmm. he's the same, could fall asleep hanging from a tree branch and, you know, could go have an afternoon nap on the weekends. And my thing was like, who does he think he is? He can just walk in there and disappear and have a nap. And like, what about me? And it, it occurred to me so much later, like after I started working on this, that he was just giving himself permission to take care of himself. And I was looking for permission from someone else. Mm. And so that's where the title of my program came from. And it really resonates with a lot of, a lot of moms, a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. My wife and I don't talk like when I nap, I go sneak off somewhere and nap because it's like, <laughs> if I do it in full view, it's just like flaunting my ability <laughs> to take a nap because my wife cannot nap. And uh, actually last night we were going to watch a movie. And I was like, I better take a nap before this movie or else I'm going to fall asleep during the movie. So I took like a 25 minute nap on the sofa because uh, I like I do that. I like in the movie theater when the when the uh, trailers are going, I'll sleep and I'll just wake up when the movie starts. Like every time, like no one has to tell me, I just wake up and I take yeah. my mouth guard and eye mask to the movie theater so I can sleep during the trailers because then I'll be and nice and well rested for the movie. It's a, it's a, it's like, I'm such a dad that I have to like plan my naps or else I'll fall asleep during movies. Um, yeah. So I, I nap in secret. So I'm getting that, um, you're, you're, that, that whole, I think that whole idea about permission, uh, sounds like a real key to me, um, for moms. Um, yeah. Like giving yourself permission to take care of yourself and permission to sleep and not having to feel like you always need to be on. So when you, when you talk about like the mindset shift that then allows people to sleep better, I am a big fan of coaching and I under, like, I am a huge, like I dove huge into the world of mindset and coaching, but I would say that before I did any of this, it just sounded too good to be true. Or like, if it works, why doesn't everyone just do it? You know, like that's kind of the approach I had to these types of things was like, if it was that good, everyone would already know about it. Like, why does, how has this person figured something out? So I'd love to hear about that. Like, what is that mindset? Like, how do you, how do you help someone shift from, I need permission to sleep to I can take care of myself. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's several layers deep. Um, and I think, you know, it, I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but the, the reason that this appeals to people with sort of scientific backgrounds mm-hmm. is because um, the first thing we do is really learn what sleep is and isn't, right? There are a lot. One of the hallmarks of insomnia is that insomniacs have like an anxious preoccupation with their sleep. They have a ton of negative, inaccurate thoughts about sleep. They believe if they they believe there's something terribly wrong with them, that they might even have a disease, that they'll probably die from it if they don't figure this out. 
So you can imagine if you're thinking that way <laughs> and you're not sleeping. And so your ability to kind of rationally think this through during the day after nights and nights of, of poor sleep is, is really not great. Um, you start getting a real fear of being awake when you think you should be asleep. And so it starts with that. And we kind of unwind that with, a, with some science, really. We go through like a whole bunch of studies um, where I show them that the average amount of sleep, it seems, and this is from a meta-analysis of like 35 studies, one and a half million people published in the journal Nature that shows that we need about seven hours of sleep not eight to 10, like we're being told <laughs> by the media, right? And so even just knowing that helps people kind of relax a bit because they're like, oh, you mean to tell me like I'm striving for like nine hours of sleep and maybe my body doesn't even need that. Like maybe I'm a person who only needs six and a half hours of sleep. Mm. And understanding that that could be okay for them kind of allows them to relax into, well, if I can believe that, maybe I can believe some other things that I really don't believe right now or, you know, understand. Yeah. And, and then we start picking away at, okay, what are, like, what's really going on when you think you should be sleeping and you're not? And this is where a whole bunch of thoughts come up about about work, about people pleasing, about perfectionism. Most of the women I coach are very high achieving. <laughs> and there's sort of a, a heavy productivity focus in their world. And so they think they think like I did, right? Well, if mm -hmm. I'm sleeping, it's a waste. Mm. Or if I'm awake, I better be using those hours really productively. I can't just take them for me, which is... And, and at the same time, it's like this... Um, this tug of war with, cause they're very busy women. They might, their moms, they probably work full time. A lot of my uh, clients are, you know, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, physiotherapists, uh, people who really identify with the science of this and, you know, they're busy and they can't find time for themselves, but when they sleep better and have more time because they're not so preoccupied with their sleep anymore, they're worried, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with that time? How do I now fill it? Mm. Right. So mm -hmm. we, we kind of, we pick away at all those thoughts and try to figure out what's really true there as well, because most, mostly it's just dramatic thinking. Yeah. So I get it. Like really what they're bringing to the table from a thought perspective around what should be happening versus what's actually happening. Yeah. And if I'm awake, I better be doing something. Like I can't just be laying here. I can't be relaxing. Like I got to go, go, go. And the other thing that I found interesting was that, uh, you know, the seven hours thing, as soon as you said that I felt a little bit better. Cause I was like, so I got a Fitbit a couple of years back and it tracked my sleep. And I said, my goal is eight hours a night. And I never get eight hours a night. Like if I go camping, I'll get eight hours, but that's it. Like if I'm not, if I'm not out in the woods, I'm not getting eight hours of sleep, like hands down, unless I do something dramatic. Like I'll get, um, once every three months, I'll get that much sleep. Right. And so I was never earning my star on my Fitbit because I was never getting eight hours. And then I changed it to five hours <laughs> and now I get stars like all the time. And I was like, this is great. I was like, I'm always getting stars except for once in a blue moon when I don't get five. Um, but it was kind of funny because it was just this small shift of like every day I was waking up and being like, oh, I didn't get my star again. What the heck? And then I changed it. So I usually get about seven, but, um, that makes me feel better. Cause I usually get seven, seven and a half. And, it's yeah, and like, all you really changed was your expectation. Exactly. 
Right. Yeah. And I got stars all the time. It's amazing. And uh, <laughs> if I don't get a star, it's rough because if I haven't gotten five hours of sleep, that's rough. And the other thing I was going to say very quickly is um, years ago, uh, I used to go to bed before I was, um, you know, when I was still like struggling a bit more with sleep than I do now. But what I would do is I would go to bed telling myself, I'm not going to get enough sleep and I'm going to wake up tired. Like I kept doing that to myself and I didn't even notice it until I kind of like read a book and then it triggered me. And I was like, why do I say this about myself? Because like if I stayed up to one, like I was on, taking this course and I was driving home, getting home late. And I'd always take the morning off the day after. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be too tired to work. And it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy that I was always too tired to work until I started shifting it and saying, I'm going to wake up fine. And I'm not saying this is like, I don't know like how this fits in with your approach, but like it definitely shifted things. Cause if I said I was going to wake up tired and exhausted, not get enough sleep, that's exactly what would happen. Totally fits in with my approach. So <laughs> the basis for my, like my work is life coaching. The basis of it mm-hmm. is a, an existing program called CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, which is proven in study after study to be more effective than Ambien in every test that's ever been run on it, right? So wow. um, I use a lot of the tools from that. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. But I don't like diagnose or treat, but I use this with life coaching. And um that is, that's the crux of it, right? Is trying to figure out, well, if I have a racing mind, let's say, which is Mm -hmm. one of the complaints of a lot of insomniacs, right? Well, what, what are my thoughts? What am I thinking? And it tends to be things like you're saying, I'm going to have a terrible day tomorrow. I'm not going to have enough sleep. I'll never get through my meeting. Um, I'll, you know, I'm going to fight with my husband. I'm going to whatever. So what do you think you create? Right? (laughs) You create the day that you've literally told yourself you're going to have. But we don't know, we're never trained. We don't know how to think differently. We don't know how to sort of create a different belief for ourselves that, you know, we could actually believe something other than that. But what we know is what we've done in the past. So we kind of rely on, well, in my past, this is what I've done and it's what I know. So it must be true. Mm -hmm. And therefore it has to be true for my future. But that's not true at all. We can actually create a different day for ourselves. I have a rule in my program, which is we don't do math in bed. (laughs) Like if I go to bed now, I can still get. That's it. If if I go to bed now, I can still get this many hours. If I wake up at three o'clock and I need my alarms going off at six, that means I have three. But what if I, it takes me an hour to go to sleep? Then I only get two, and that means I'm going to have a terrible day and all of that. So as soon as we kick math out of the bed, you're not allowed to have those thoughts anymore. Yeah. No. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. I think we've all been there. Like if I fall asleep now, I can still get five and a half hours of sleep and I can still function. Um, So, so to talk a bit about doctors and I know you don't just work with physicians, but I do, I mean, Sarah Smith is who introduced us, who's a physician who said, Galen, you got to have Janet on your podcast. Um, You know, you talked about high achievers and like, that's the sense I've gotten from knowing lots of physicians. My dad's a physician and I feel like it's, you know, it's like a, a driven crowd that always has something else to do. Right. Like, but yeah. I think a lot of people are in that boat, but really when I think about the setup of a physician or nurse practitioner, you know, someone in that medical field, it's like, it's not like you ever run out of things to do. It's not like you, you go home one day and you're like, Oh, all my charting is done for our, you know, I don't have to think about charting and I don't have to think about these, this patient or this reminder or this follow-up. Like there's always something. And so would you say that there's like a specific flavor to that, um, world of being on like all day and having like some very, um, you know, very um, impactful conversations and decisions you make around the well-being and lives of other people. Like, would you say that adds a special flavor to this issue of sleep? Oh, absolutely. It's a lot of what's really underneath this is unmanaged stress, right? And so people who are very high achieving, who have very busy jobs, who have very stressful 
life and death decision type jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have, have a lot of stress that they're not maybe dealing with. They're pushing through their day. They're getting their work done. They're coming home. They want to be with their family and just, you know, unwind for the time that they do have and then go to sleep. But what's what's happened in their body, the stress response that's happened with their nervous system just hasn't gone away. And so they still have, you know, uh, their heart rate's too high, their cortisol's too high, their body temperature's too high. None of those things are, are um, conducive to sleep. And so then they get frustrated that they can't sleep when they want to or need to. And then the frustration causes more insomnia. So absolutely that happens. And I think there's also a bit of a, I mean, I, my mom was an RN and I certainly saw this with her also British background. And I think that's part of it, but this sort of keep calm and carry on mentality, right. Which doesn't allow you to kind of experience your own emotions. It's like, no, no, push that away for now. I have to get onto this thing and I'll deal with that later. Mm-hmm. But then later never comes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And, yeah, was- and the thoughts and the worry just festers. Yeah, it's like a real um, snowball, kind of like catch-22 cyclical yeah. uh, reality. And I was talking to a good physician the other day, and she said, I feel like a lot of my colleagues uh, are uh, just operating from, she was saying, like fingernails, like hanging on by their fingernails, and um, like always operating from their amygdala, like always operating from like this fight-or-flight response, which I don't know if there's science to back that up or anything, but when she said sure. that, it was like, yeah, I get, I kind of get that when... If someone's really on, like you said, like really heavy decisions, life or death decisions, and like for that, you know, I talked to my dad the other day, and he's like, "Yeah, he's he's been retired for years. He hasn't been in a clinical setting. He used to be in dialysis in the early days of dialysis." And he said to me the other day, we were talking, and he said, "You know what? Sometimes I just can't help but wonder if I had had access to the internet when I was diagnosing, or if I had access to all the information I have right now back when I was practicing, how many lives would I have saved?" And this is someone who's been retired for. He hasn't worked in a clinical setting in decades. And this is still something he thinks about when he was, when he had a nephro, um, a dialysis practice back in 1982. And yeah. uh, I was like, wow, it really hit me. You know, like he's sitting there thinking like, could I have saved this person's life if I'd had more information? So, he's still um, hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So to answer your question, there is science behind that. And sleep is a big part of this. So one of the studies that I always share with clients early is one that shows that when we aren't sleeping well when we're overtired, the connections, our our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex need to be very connected. There's, I guess, all kinds of synapses going back and forth (laughs) need to be firing in a certain way in order for us to be able to be making um, logical decisions to plan properly, right? When we're tired, those connections are not there or they're very weak. And so we are functioning from our amygdala, very reactive. We're very emotional. We're not able to, like our executive functioning is just not where we like it to be, right? And this is why we, a lot of the complaints from insomniacs are not things like, I'm just, I'm sleepy during the day. They're things like, I'm so frustrated in the day or I get angry or easily or I snap at my family or uh, my coworkers are always angry with me or, you know, something like that where it's just, it's a, like a emotional regulation is really challenging. And that's one of the biggest complaints with insomnia. Actually, it's not really being tired. Interestingly. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, but it's more of like a byproduct of that, of that lack of proper rest of like around the executive function. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can kind of see that because 
I've certainly lived phases of my life where I was at a very high level of stress for much of my day and I could operate on five hours of sleep and I could wake up and be ready to go like brain sizzling, ready to go. And, um, yeah, probably just cause it was like that stress that's just like driving the engine like, to keep moving. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a theory that, um, there's a sort of a core amount of sleep that we need for biological function. Right. And it's about five to five and a half hours. Mm. And the idea is that if we get that amount of sleep in any 24 hour period, and this is really helpful for doctors and nurses who work shifts, mm-hmm. um, when they're worried that they're not getting seven or eight hours in a row to know that five to five and a half core hours across a 24 hour period is what you physiologically need in order to get through your day. Just like you said, um, is really helpful, right? A a sleep thought that we practice is, well, I got my core sleep last night. I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, no, that is, that's great. I mean, it's because sometimes I like not so much lately, but once upon a time, it was me getting sometimes four hours of sleep, but then taking a two hour nap or, and I always joked with my wife, like, cause I've seen these, um, they're like these um, uh, pictographs of like different historical figures. And a lot of them had like really weird sleep patterns. It would be like, I can't remember who, but like, uh, you know, I, uh, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin used to wake up at 2 a.m. and work until 4 a.m. and then go to bed and then wake up at, like all the Mozart. They all had these like crazy sleep patterns. And I would joke with my wife, like, maybe I'm just one of these crazy, like historical figures. I'm like these crazy historical figures that had really erratic sleep patterns back then. Um, Cause I was like, I can kind of function like this. Like I can kind of, stay up late, wake up early, but then take a nap or like, you know, do these things. So hmm, interesting. There's actually anthropological evidence that that may be how we used to sleep. Like that may be how we used to function before we had industrial society, before we decided on this like eight hour workday that started at nine and ended at five, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and there are people who just like to go to bed later. And so what about you know, that's just how their circadian rhythm works. It's how their biological clock works. And so they're forcing themselves to bed before they're actually tired. Mm-hmm. So in my program, we do a lot of working on, um, which it sounds like you're good at based on our conversation earlier, recognizing your drowsiness signals, like figuring out when you're tired and making your bedtime about that, not about when your partner goes to bed, not about when the news is over, mm-hmm. not about when your kitchen is clean, right? All these things that we think bedtime should be <laughs> no it's really more about like sleep is about us re- resting recovering and recuperating right so mm-hmm. yep we start that when we feel drowsy that's yeah. the signal for going to bed yeah and i will say that's very interesting like yeah because we did talk a bit about how like um like i as i said i don't really talk about this publicly because i feel like people get mad at me but i do fall asleep very quickly on average um uh but I will say that like recently I was falling or through a lot of the pandemic, I would say I had some unhealthy behaviors kicking in where, um, or like when I feel like I'm not getting any alone time or off downtime, I'm like 11 to 2am. Like that's my, that's my after party. Like that's when I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing what I want to do. Cause I didn't have a chance all day. And, um, like up until a few weeks ago, I would say, Oh, I'm going to watch Netflix to help me fall asleep. And I found that I would watch like an hour plus of Netflix to help me fall asleep. And when I switched from Netflix to an audiobook, like I can't stay awake for more than five minutes when I'm listening to an audiobook. And so like I feel like there must be something around that screen. And I've heard different things about screens messing with our mm-hmm. brains and blue light and whatnot. But that's definitely something that I've realized where it was like me saying that I'm gonna watch Netflix to fall asleep is BS. Like I would that's not what I was doing. <laughs> so like I should have just sat on the couch and watched some Netflix to like 
relaxed and then gone to bed. But this audiobook thing has been amazing. Like it's, I listen to an audiobook and I pass out. Um, yeah. So I just realized that about myself as well recently. Yeah. Listening to um, audiobooks, listening to guided meditations or mm. bedtime stories, these types of things are helpful because they, they allow us to stop that kind of racing mind syndrome that starts happening, right? So if you can quiet your thoughts and pay attention to something else, you'll allow yourself to go to sleep. The thing you want to be careful about is assigning, I was able to fall asleep because I watched Netflix. I was able to fall asleep because I did this, right? Or because I took melatonin or because I, we start to make those things like magic pills, right? For when really what we did was we, we managed our stress. We calmed ourselves down. We gave ourselves a wind down period before mm-hmm. bed. We tend to also in our society think that like we should be able to turn us sleep on and off like a mm-hmm. like a light switch, and it's really more of a dimmer. Mm-hmm. We need to be taking time to wind down. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> interestingly, one of the things you mentioned about if you're really busy, you take a couple hours to yourself in the middle of the night. That's actually a thing called revenge bedtime procrastination. Yeah, yeah. And women in particular do this. Um, I think we procrastinate more as well, but, um, and it's, and it's because we're not taking to, we're not planning enough time in our day for ourselves, right? We're not managing the stress that happens during our day and thinking, well, I'll just take some of that time back out of my sleep. But what we do when we do that is then we make the next day worse too, and possibly the next and the one after that. So it's really, really important to learn. And that's why I say self-care is such a big part of my work. It's so important to learn to prioritize that in all of our days, even if it's just, you know, a 20 minute walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. The revenge, like late night procrastination. <laughs> and it's like, actually, it's kind of funny because um, this is also a thing around um, like future self versus present self, um, which I talk a lot about with financial planning. And I actually found this quote that was amazing or this thing. It's from Jerry Seinfeld. And he talks about, I think he talks about tomorrow guy or something like that. And he's like, I'm going to stay up late. That's not my problem. That's tomorrow guy's problem. And he's like, tomorrow <laughs> guy can deal with that, not me. And uh, I just love that. I'll have to find it for you because it's hilarious. Or he just talks that about tomorrow so guy is the one who has to deal with all these things that I'm creating right now. Um Okay. So can I ask you about caffeine? Can I ask you a question about caffeine? So years ago, I was at a very stressful job and I was also drinking caffeine. Actually, this is before I did any coaching. So about 2017, I joined my first coaching program and I went and it was right around the time I quit caffeine. So I don't know which thing did the most, but I used to wake up two, three nights a week at like, so I'd go to bed, fine, go to bed at like 10, 11, whatever. Then I'd wake up at like 2 a.m. And the only way I could describe it was that my brain was like sizzling. Like it was like spinning with like all these things I needed to do and all these things. Did I remember to do this? Did I remember to do that? And I give myself about five minutes to try to like deal with that. And then if I'd taken more than five minutes to fall back asleep, I'd just go watch a movie from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Now I quit caffeine and I got coaching at the same time, but I'm pretty sure like I historically felt like caffeine didn't do anything to me. But now I'm pretty sure if I drink caffeine afternoon, it messes with that. Like I fall asleep fine, but I wake up with my brain just like on fire. Yeah. So totally, <laughs> totally true. I I can't have it afternoon mm-hmm. for the same reason. I used to 
drink it after dinner. I, I was a big caffeine freak, but um, mm. no, I drank half-calf coffee in the morning now and uh, can't have any after noon. And so interestingly, yesterday, my husband made me a half-calf latte at four o'clock in the afternoon, which I never do. But because it was sort of a rainy Sunday, I was like, oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, I'll have one. It's only half-calf. I was up until one o'clock in the morning last night. So, uh, and so I'm a great sleeper, but that still happens to me, right? Because I'm a human and it does happen. But the reason why caffeine, this is when I learned this, this just made this all make perfect sense to me. So there's a lot to our sleep that is thought-based and stress-based and everything else, but it's also a biological process, right? So there is a neurotransmitter called uh, adenosine that has to build up in our body throughout the 16 hours that our wakefulness system is kind of working for us, right? And so it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And when enough of it has built up, it it tells our body, okay, it's time to like, it relaxes us. It gets us, slows our heart rate a little. It just tells us, okay, it's maybe it's time for our sleep system to kick in. Caffeine, caffeine and adenosine fit into the same cell receptor. Mm. So if you're having caffeine and you're having too much of it in the afternoon or the evening, you're jamming up those receptors that are meant for adenosine with caffeine and the adenosine has nowhere to go. And so that's the reason it keeps us awake. It's how, how it keeps our heart rate high. It's how like it's, it's a, it's, it's not just in your head is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It is an actual biological yeah. problem. So we really do need to be careful if we have insomnia, how much caffeine we're mm-hmm. No, that makes in. sense. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it shifted for me because I'm the same boat. Like, I feel like I used to be able to drink, I used to drink caffeine, uh, coffee, like you said, like after dinner, I used to drink it right before bed. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have my last night's cup of coffee. It's so comforting, pass yeah. out, sleep just fine. And then I feel like at one point something just snapped where I couldn't do that anymore. And I never ever thought caffeine was the issue because it never used to bother me. And then all of a sudden it did. So I'm glad I figured yeah. that one out. Um, one of the things I want to ask about is you mentioned earlier, I can't remember the exact words you used, but I think it sounded like something like a sleep affirmation or a sleep, like thing that I say to myself about sleep. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that of like, what are the kinds of things? Like, is that what it is? Like you can kind of say things about the way I'm going to sleep to help set yourself up for success. Totally. So um, I think what I, how I referred to it was probably a positive sleep thought. Mm-hmm. So um, this goes back to how we create beliefs for ourselves and how we talk to ourselves, right? And how we can, we have like, you know, I don't think anybody really knows the number I've heard anywhere from 12 to like 60,000 thoughts a day. And if you think of them like um, a news ticker at the bottom of like the CNN screen or whatever, just constantly going across, your brain is just constantly offering you thoughts like that all day long. And a lot of them are negative because we've evolved with a a negativity bias, right? And we believe the negative stuff because it's easier for us and the negative stuff typically keeps us safe. However, a lot of the stuff that we think about as far as sleep is concerned is not true. Like, you know, if, uh, if I don't get sleep, I'm going to get cancer and die if I mm. people think this, right? Um, so we need to learn to kind of notice those thoughts. And they're in CBTI, they're called negative and positive sleep thoughts. I like to think of them as helpful and unhelpful because I don't, I don't think of them as affirmations as much as I think of them as um, the foundations of creating a future belief that's more helpful for us, right? So instead of thinking um, thoughts like, 
if I don't get to sleep by 10 o'clock, my whole day tomorrow is shot. A more helpful way of thinking is I'll get to sleep when my body is ready for sleep, when I feel drowsy enough. As long as I get five hours or five and a half hours, I'll have my core sleep and I'll get through my day, right? We have to practice these thoughts in order for our brain to start believing them. <laughs> we can't just say it. Like I say that right now and I guarantee almost everyone who's listening is like, come on, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, how does that really work? But if you practice that and you write it down and you say it to yourself before bed and you know we do journal this stuff in my program, eventually you start to see that it really works. And it really um, it takes away the stress of the negative thinking because every time we involve ourselves in these sort of negative, unhelpful, dramatic thoughts, we create an, a stress response. And so it's impossible to sleep when that's happening and we need to we need to sort of relearn how to relax our own bodies using our brains. And this is how we do it using more helpful sleep thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. Like just kind of using those thoughts to sell, set yourself up for success rather than failure and like setting yeah. the stage. No, I love it. If your thoughts are going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, why wouldn't you want them <laughs> to create a positive one? <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. Cause thoughts are powerful, crazy powerful. Um, so I'd love to hear like an example. Can you give us an example of someone you've worked with who um, like what they were like before they were implementing these strategies and what they've been able to accomplish um, by taking it on? I'd love to hear like a case study if you can throw one our way. Sure. Um, I don't, I'll, mention, I'll, I'll mention Sarah actually, because she has given me this as a testimonial and she, mm -hmm. she talks about this on every opportunity, but she says she got three hours back in her day for herself after sleep coaching. And this is a really common um, thing. I actually say that um, sleep coaching, is, like going through my program is like winning the time lottery. And the reason being that when we have insomnia, we are spending so much time trying to figure out how to stop it, how to sleep better, what should I do? What's the next tool that I have to buy or gadget that I have to get or focus on my Fitbit and analyzing my sleep data. And, you know, it's, it's kind of an obsession that we don't realize is draining us mentally, but it's also draining our time. And so when you have a sleep schedule that you never have to think about again, you never have to manage, you never have to worry about, especially for you know, people like doctors who sometimes have to work shifts and they think, oh, I, got, I just got it down and now I got to start mm -hmm. my night shift week again. Like, oh, this is, I'm never going to get this, right? And that I'm never going to get this is one of the negative thoughts that we need to work on. Mm -hmm. um, but every single woman I've worked with has gotten time back in her day. Three hours, I'd say, is the, the biggest, um, but easy an hour and a half for, for an average um, and they get to, they get to spend that however they want. Right. Um, and for women who are moms who are working, I mean, that's such a gift. Yeah. 90 minutes. That's a gift for sure. I mean, that's a huge gift. That's a gift. That's a lot of time. Too, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Sarah, so she got three hours back in her day and like, that's, that's, yeah. A, yeah, I'm seeing that as a really helpful way to measure it of how much time do you get back? That's not spent, you know, obsessing over the sleep or worrying about the sleep. Yeah. Cause yeah, no, that's really cool. I have another client who talks about, um, really this speaks back to the permission part of this. 
But she, the way she said it was, I was constantly trying to convince everyone how hard my life was. I was, I was, I realized everything I was saying and everything I was thinking was justification for why I was so tired. I was busy. I was like, busy is the, the buzzword, right? Everybody's busy. And she's, some of the work we do is trying to figure out like, when I hear someone say I'm tired or I'm busy, what I hear is, I'm having an emotion that I don't want to deal with right now. Mm. Okay. And so we're going to call it tired and busy because we don't know what else to call it. And it's the way that I can just ignore it for now because tired and busy is expected in our society. And so she did that. She just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and telling everyone, well, you know, I have these issues with my kids and I have this issue at work and I have, and it's just everything so hard for me. And when she realized that those thoughts were actually what was making everything so hard for her and that she could instead choose to take the time she was worrying and use it for rest and use it for um, her sleep, everything shifted. And that's a really common experience too. It's this, it's just this one day, this shift happens and we realize, oh my gosh, like, not that I need to beat myself up more, but. I created this, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I created this situation with my thoughts and my behaviors. We, we create all these perpetuating factors for insomnia, like going to bed too early, um, taking supplements and medications, um, getting weighted blankets and blue light glasses and all the, th- like, if you know anything about anxiety, like this is one of the things that anxious people do, right? They, They create crutches for themselves Mm. to try and manage the feeling that they're having that they don't want to feel. And so this is what we do with sleep. Well, surely these blue light glasses will be, will do the trick or that way weighted blanket was too hot, but this one says it's cooling. So that's going to be, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, we actually have to empower ourselves to realize that our brain is the only tool we need here. And forget the sleep hygiene tips. Sleep hygiene is for people who sleep well and want to sleep better. It's not for managing insomnia and work on what's happening inside. And the great thing about that is when we figure that out, like we carry our brain with us wherever we go, right? So you can never be without your greatest sleep tool. Mm. Interesting. You can't can't forget your melatonin, right? You can forget your melatonin and freak out all weekend. How am I going to sleep? But if if you did this with your brain, it comes with you. Very cool. No, I love that. And that's a definite reframe of the brain as being a helpful tool uh, that can uh, speed things up towards better sleep, which is yeah. uh, fantastic. No, that's really cool. Um, yeah, no. And I mean, I'm a big fan, like my favorite thing in the world. So I'm a financial planner. My favorite thing in the world is the first time a client ever told me this, I was like, yes, they said, I sleep better at night because I'm not as worried about my finances. As uh, before. And so I've yeah. always thought like, that's a badge of like, if I'm helping people sleep better at night, that's a win for me, especially doctors. Cause it's like, my gosh, who doesn't want their doctor to sleep better and be more rested yeah. and that they were on this mission to help, um, you know, uh, high achieving women sleep better. is just amazing. Like, that's so cool. Um, insomnia is really, sorry. Insomnia is really not that much about sleep at all. Right. It's about all the, like you said, it's worries about my finances, my future, my family, all the things, right. It's the worries, not the actual sleep. Mm -hmm. No, that's very interesting. Cool. Well, I want to make sure people know where to find you, uh, to get some uh, support around this subject. So please, uh, what's the best uh, way for people to find out more about you? And I'll post links wherever this podcast is published, but say it as well. So people can hear it. 
Sure. Thank you. Um, I have just sort of a one place they can go to find pretty much everything. And it's my uh, a page on my website, janetwhalen.com forward slash sleep. And Whalen is spelled W-H-A-L-E-N. So you can find pretty much everything there. How to um, get on my wait list for my membership, how to follow me on social media. There's a, a free comp, how to calm your racing mind worksheet. If you're interested in that, you can get that there too. Very cool. So janetwhalen.com slash sleep to get started with everything you've got to offer. Well, that's all. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to make sure everyone hears before we sign off today? (laughs) (laughs) I I think we covered it. This was awesome. We got really into it. Yeah. Awesome. No, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, no, that's awesome work that you're doing. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having joined me on this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do so. It really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listen to each episode go up. It's just a lot of fun. Feel free to scroll through the other episodes. I've interviewed a lot of really amazing people and just want to get their insights out there to Canadian physicians. If you're left wondering anything about your financial plan, whether you're making the most of your corporation, are you on track for retirement, are there more efficiencies you could be finding? feel free to head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. You can read more about the work I do, uh, my offer of fee-based planning, which is pretty popular among medical professionals where you pay for a plan, you don't have to buy a product. Go over there, click a button, book a free call. We'll have a quick conversation and see if you're a good fit for the fee-based services. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care.